Hey friends. So today we are going to talk about getting started with homeschoolers. How early is, you know, should we start? And we'll be sharing some of my favorite tips and tricks and encouragement and resources and all of that. So join us for this fun call. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Life podcast, where we believe that life is a schoolhouse. Totally. We're super dorks with a passion for sharing our love of homeschooling, homesteading, natural health care, plant medicines, natural childbirth, healthy eating, meditation, creative endeavors, overall self-sufficiency for the whole family. Oh, and don't forget self-development and spirituality. Oh, of course. Key players. We hope you'll be inspired to do things you haven't, try things that could make your life better, and mostly we want to encourage you to never stop learning and let your life be a schoolhouse too. So it's me, Andrew, here sitting, and we're going to talk about when to start homeschooling. It's a question that we get kind of regularly. At what age can you start homeschooling, and how do you go about getting started? So that's a big kind of loaded question. Right. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to learn from my mistakes. Yeah. And then go from there, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can skip them or maybe you want to do them yourself. It really, there's no right or wrong answer. I think um, that's like lesson number one for homeschooling. Lesson number one. There is no right or wrong answer. There is no right or wrong. Well, (laughs) sometimes. Like, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that later. (laughs) They can get a math equation wrong, but so can the curriculum itself. We have a math book yesterday that was telling us the wrong answer was the right answer. And I was just like, oh, good grief. This is how you even win, right? Right. However, back to that getting started, because I will say workbooks are sort of my arch nemesis with little kids because some kids don't hate them. Some kids hate, hate them. All kids don't really need them at such a young age. They can be a fun thing to pass the time, I guess. Uh, So I think traditionally we have in our minds that kids should start school at five, right? You know, like that's American way anyways. I wanted to start school at five. I actually was like the oldest kid in my class because I didn't make the cut, right? Like birthday wise. I wanted out of school at five. (laughs) (laughs) And you probably should have been let out of school at five. (laughs) However... You know, every kid is really different in terms of when they need that kind of structure. But I think ultimately the thing about homeschool is you don't have to make any hard, rash decisions like that. There's no age cutoff, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to say, well, he's five in October, so I guess it's time to start, right? Like there's just not a yeah. it's not a thing. And in fact, in a lot of cultures, you really should wait until they're older. They're seven is kind of the the like key age when you're talking about the Waldorf approach of when kids are really ready to have a more structured formal education. And there's lots you can do with that age though that helps in their growth and their in their development. But I think sometimes just letting go of the idea that your home needs to be a school. Yeah. Cause it, I've always thought that like if you want to replicate a school, then just send your kids to school. <laughs> well, there are maybe some some arguments against that but well i mean like when you see the like i don't know you see the instagram photos yeah. of like the parent who's set up like the school desk and like they're standing the chalkboard, stand, the chalkboard and, the, yeah. and they're standing in front of the child like they're they're a teacher and it's like it can be super helpful to have kind of some structure to build upon but i'll tell you no five-year-old is like aching to sit in a school desk for more than no, a little while not our little guy for sure <laughs> oh my gosh yeah no that could be torturous in fact he can't sit in a chair so like it's better if we build a workstation he can stand at or you know or lay, on, lay the floor, on the floor right yeah so <laughs> i mean both Yeah, since we're at that place where we have a five-year-old. And then we also have a 16-year-old who I probably – she is going to deal with, like, needing some kind of a therapist in years to come because of our experience when she was five. And me thinking we needed to check these boxes and start teaching her how to read. 
right? Like she needed to learn how to read by the time she was six. That's what I had in my head. Yeah. And granted, I wasn't an early educator trained person, individual, but I, you know, that's what the workbooks that were her age said. That's what kindergarten workbooks said. That's what her peers were learning. So it's hard to let go of these sort of social societal norms, but that isn't even normal, right? Every kid learning to read at five is not normal. Most kids learn between the ages of five and eight. And then there are some that even come up in the end to like into 10. And that is the normal when, when kids are in a literate home, when they will learn how to read. Okay. So changing it to, from this date, like this critical moment, if they don't learn by this date, they're not ever going to learn. I think it's like the concept of like, then they won't graduate, you know, like they yeah. got to graduate kindergarten and they got 12 years. They got to get in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but when you think about it like that, like you need to get these however many years of, of education and you better learn to read pretty quick or you're going to miss the first few right. years you're going to get cut off. But the truth is that evidence shows that late readers are usually more voracious readers and love reading more if you cannot hammer them up and beat them up about reading in those earlier years. Yeah, those developmental stages. I mean, that's definitely the case with our kids. They're like ridiculous about reading. They I mean, read I, don't, a lot. I don't know how much they read, but it's insane. They're constantly reading new books. They have access to the library on the on the iPad, so they are constantly borrowing new books and reading and borrowing. And, and it's a really, I'm excited that I don't have to force them to read like people had to force me to read. Right. But I think it was just a different experience, right? I didn't get to read for pleasure. I didn't get to read what I wanted to ever. Um, yeah, I still remember I read a book like it was like ninth grade. Uh, a friend had a book that he was reading that was it was called White Shark. And it was like, uh, it was I can't remember one of the like famous authors, like a sci-fi movie kind of book. But it was the first book that I had ever read that like, I just read because I wanted to read it and I enjoyed it. And I read it like in three days. And it was like, you know, a giant book. Yeah. And I was like, man, you can read just for fun. Like I remember thinking that thought and then going on to read more books just for the sake of reading, like not because I had been assigned them, but right. that was kind of the first time in a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that one of the most important elements to think about when you're talking about teaching your children, and this is something a lot of different philosoph educational philosophers have said, and uh, Charlotte Mason is one, but there are others that have, you know, really, it's about igniting that interest, igniting that fire. A lot of times, I, I think the quote goes something like, we're not trying to fill a bucket with education, we're igniting a fire. And that's really our goal. So think about that with your young child. Like, what can you do to ignite their interests? And so they become self-learners, they become self-motivated learners. So we'll go over a few of the things that I think are really good and fundamental pieces of maybe building that structure. Because when you talk about homeschooling these older, these five-year-olds now, right? Five and six-year-old kids, what we don't want to do is like sit down with a bunch of curriculum and start checking boxes and, and making that the focus. What we want to do is make the focus what feeds their natural appetite because everyone is a learner and, you know, I think when I was trying to get my kid to understand that two plus two is always four, two plus two is always four, like it just, 
it was a stress for me. It was a stress for her. And eventually we just scrapped it. Right. And then we were much better off. And I, I did find curriculum that was a great guide and helped me stay on track with that. And I, there are lots of options out there, but there is also the library, right? Like there's also just regular children's books that you probably already have in your home. And there's always more access to books these days and nature and books and nature and books and nature. <laughs> like that's, that's the first, <laughs> that's like, literally her notes <laughs> that's what that. I wrote. <laughs> So like going outside and picking flowers is, is school, right? Like going outside, if you have a garden and picking a cucumber and slicing it up and eating it for lunch, that's school. Yeah. And I think the important thing is what I've always liked about Waldorf is like leaving the space for the like. The spiritual. The, the spiritual, the mystery. Like the mystery. Not. The wonder. A, yeah. The wonder. That's what I was like. Like as a parent, not needing to fill it in leaving space for them to fill it in like when you go and pick a cucumber you know like with a five-year-old there's about a hundred million questions <laughs> that comes from picking a cucumber mm -hmm. why is on it the, the shape well like not even picking the cucumber on the way to pick the cucumber <laughs> and on the way back like yeah. the other day i sent him to get me a bucket mm -hmm. and because we have a million cucumbers it was like an hour later i'm like where is he and i was about to yell at him <laughs> Because I he really, wasn't on task. He was not on task, and I really needed the bucket. But I turned around, and he's standing there staring at a butterfly on a flower <laughs> with the bucket in his hand. Yeah. But and I was just like, man, like that's way more important. Like, let me just let him do that. It's so interesting. We just recorded a podcast on time, which you're gonna have to listen to. <laughs> right? It was yeah. So good. But I really now it's coming to me. Like, what is he doing? He's not getting it done in the right amount of time, right? But yeah. Oh, what he got done in that time was miraculous. Probably. Miraculous, however, like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's there's some serious thought and debate on that subject. <laughs> Love him, but Love he's him. not a quick quick worker. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but I think also another thing is like when they ask you a question, one of the things in, and Charlotte Mason may say this as well, but that Steiner teaches is that you really want to leave space for them to answer their own questions and not right, not with the right scientific solution, but for you to say, you know, or, you know, he might ask me about, and a friend of mine, the child is a curriculum, Annie, Haas actually posted this the other day with a picture of bumblebees, an image of bumblebees moving from flower to flower. And, you know, you can, your child can ask you, why is the bumblebee doing that? What are they doing? What are they eating? You know, all kinds of questions they can ask. And you can answer all those questions, right? Like we know what this, mm -hmm. the answers are. So the to scientific speak. answers. Or you can say, I don't know. Why do you think? Right? Like, what do you think the bumblebee's goal is? What do you think the bumblebee is trying to accomplish? What do you, why do you think the bumblebee is doing that? Like, don't even lead it. Just you say, why do you think, right? And right. give them space to use their imagination because as they grow and as they develop, they start answering those questions very differently. And you can watch that transpiration of time and growth and developmental change over the course of the childhood very distinctly. Steiner lays it out. There's a lot of like key changes and shifts you can see in growth and development physically that can represent those changes mentally. But we wanna leave space for the appropriate understanding um, for a five-year-old, right? We don't want them to be able to necessarily read a textbook version of why does the bumblebee jump from flower to flower. Right. We want them to develop that foundation of spiritual wonderment, right? And that takes place 
place when we don't fill in all the blanks and we let their minds wander and we let them do some things that maybe we we don't think are efficient, right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so schooling for five and six-year-olds can really just follow their natural team. So naps and rest, I think, can't be uh, iterated enough. I think it's really important that we need to give children rest time, downtime. We do not need to fill every second, every minute, every hour of their time with something to do. They will take an activity like, for example, playing with Play-Doh. You may be put on the schedule for 20 minutes. They could do that for three hours, right? Like that's good. We want them to do and have that time to fully express what they want to fully express, right? So coming up with a schedule or a routine is nice and it can build a rhythm in your day, but also giving flexibility to the space for them to kind of follow their own. And what that will do is it will make them less reliant on you for filling their needs all the time, filling their schedule all the time. Because what I have now are kids that are growner, growner, more grown up and more self-led. And that means they know that they can take more time on their phonics lesson if they need it or more on their math and less on their phonics or they can use their time for how they need to use their time versus feeling so rigidly encapsulated by the structure of the day. Does that, I hope that is. Yeah, and that, I mean, it takes the stress away, which I think like not being stressed about a schedule is mm-hmm. like, you know, makes the learning fun. I think the other thing like I wanted to say is Lacey has set up some really cool systems of like next to our windows that look out over the garden, there's like nature books. So like even our five-year-old knows that like if he sees a bird and he wonders what kind of bird it is, he can look up in the bird book that's sitting right there next to the binoculars so he can look closer, (laughs) you know, like there's... Lots of fun things like we have a nature table where we have seasons of being really good at it and not so good at Mm -hmm. it. But bringing in things from nature and putting them on that table, if he discovers it, he knows he can put it on that table Mm. or we can like seasonally kind of bring in some things to highlight for that time. That particular season. Yeah. And then I think the we have a shelf of like rocks and nuts and (laughs) bugs. It's like an old like typesetting shelf. Mm -hmm. So it's got like all these little tiny squares. So like if he finds a rock, he can put it there. And every once in a while he gets like a stool out and like remembers the mm. bug he found. Or Well, and it's interesting because yeah. everybody collects rocks. All children collect rocks. Yeah. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, they could, they become obsessed with it. A friend who I actually interviewed, Betsy, does homeschooling with the classics. And she posted an art meme the other day of a woman holding her apron up. And she said, this is me removing all the rocks quietly like Shawshank Redemption and (laughs) returning them outdoors (laughs) every once in a while we have to do that (laughs) because the rocks will become a little overwhelming but their love of the rocks we just need to learn how to like no no rocks in the house like there are times where I've said like let's just have a pile of rocks outside but it never works so you just have to embrace like they are they have wonder about that and it's okay and we need to sometimes just learn to let go a little bit yeah create space for that but yeah nature 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 right? Cooking and snacking is a part of schoolwork for us, right? Like my kids now are very self-sufficient. They cook dinners for us. They make all their own lunches and their, their snacks. And it's not that I don't like making it. I actually loved and really enjoyed the lunch making process for the kids when they were littler, but 
and, and doing it with them. But now they're, you know, we've got a 16 year old. She doesn't need me to make her lunch every day. And honestly, I wouldn't want her to need me to make her lunch every day. <laughs> so for the five-year-old, he has more helpers. He's got his older sisters. I help him, right? We make snacks like apples and peanut butter or celery and peanut butter or, you know, bread together. The ha- letting them have those experiences is really important. Showing them how, how capable they are is really an important element of education for us. Then crafts for sure are, you know, whether you just have a simple craft book where you're making things out of yarn or things out of nature, nature crafts are really some all, of the best. Really all you need is scissors, glue, crayons. paper, and string, and maybe crayons. Yeah, it's true. For the five-year-old, anyhow, that's all, a good stick of glue and a good roll of tape is about oh all you Oh my gosh, needs. tape, 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 tape. And we <laughs> actually made a craft box for him and put a lot of odds yeah. and ends, scrap papers and cardboard and cotton balls and things like that that he can just get in there and do whatever because the a cardboard box is his upon arrival and he wants to make something out of it. So yeah. don't get too carried away with crafting supplies. <laughs> what else? Let's see. So games, you know, there's lots of little games you can play. There's lots of songs that are games. Circle time is something that a lot of people do. So first thing in the morning, you can sit down, read a book together, sing a song together, read some poetry together, and maybe talk about what, what else is on this calendar for the day. When a kid knows what to expect, they thrive. So I will say that that is something when they know what's coming, what's next, when they start acting ornery usually it's because they feel like they don't know where they fit in they don't know what the calendar is they don't know what's coming next they don't know you know sort of what the routine and rhythm is and then they feel a a bit chaotic and I think we all do that a little bit yeah and I think even for the five-year-old like having some sort of expectation for the day is helpful like oh yeah they might not quite like quite grasp your full calendar but just knowing like (laughs) what time lunch or roughly that they're gonna have lunch is like you know helpful for them well we have a we have a pretty strict breakfast and then nothing else till 10 30 rule yeah (laughs) or else kids get in the habit of saying can i have a snack can i have a snack can i have a snack just all morning long and if they just know that 10 30 is snack time then they don't ask right so um there are some simple tips like that that can be really helpful for those younger ages but then they also are eager to learn how to tell time on 10 what 10 30 is right <laughs> those singing basket activities whether it's just quiet activities they can do by themselves like puzzles and play-doh and marbles and pebbles and beads and legos and you know all of those little things they can do quietly by themselves it's really crucial that you have those so they know what resources they can turn to to get out of your hair because you can't you can't, as a mom, be with your child 24-7. You know, you can more with the first than the second, more with the second than the third, and so on. But you really want to give them the opportunity to self-direct, okay? So these kinds of things are the best blocks and beads and those kinds of things that they can do on their own and self-direct. It's nothing more um, delightful than a self-directed child. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and it could be dirt, in a jar that keeps them happy for hours. Yeah, the the <laughs> ant house project. What do you call it? The ant farm. Ant farm in a jar. Yeah. yeah. Ant farm in a jar has kept him busy for a long time. Mm, he loves watching. And it's such a like cool learning experience. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Household chores are also a key component. We want our kids to know that they are not only capable, but needed. We need them as a part of our home to be a participant in the chores, right? We need them to be helpful. We need them to participate in what's going on. And we want them to be. Yeah. Need and want, right? (laughs) And even though it can be a challenge for sure to, you know, it's often easier to just empty the dishwasher by yourself or do the laundry yourself or fold it the right way the first time, right? That isn't going to give them the opportunity to learn those skills. So that can be a really critical part. Getting, getting, maybe you get a little broom for them to use or a little dustpan set and cooking stuff just for them, you know, encouraging them to be participant in the things that we have going on is huge. Yeah. And like, I think that's one that always surprises me is like kids can do laundry, like, and maybe lowering your expectation of like, you know, how neatly they're put away. Yeah. How neatly they're going to put away. But Hey, if you like, If they're doing their own laundry, they can do it however they want. Yeah. And then also keeping in mind that, you know, your day doesn't end at 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. or half day like I started kindergarten, right? Like your day with your kid is all day and your schooling doesn't have to happen between the hours of 8 a.m. and 3 p.m., right? You can make it last or linger. And, and, you know, especially for those who have spouses that go to work during the day, we want spouses to be involved in this part of the child's life as much as possible because the more diversity they get in teachers and in instruction, the better off they'll be. And so if your spouse maybe can take on reading at bedtime and that can be a part of your curriculum. I know in the Oak Meadow, which is a Waldorf-based curriculum, they really wanted you to read the fairy tale at night and then you would talk about it the next day. And I think that's a really beautiful routine and it really gives your, you know, the spouse that maybe has to go away during the day the chance to be a participant in the whole process in a really important way. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think for sure, like the... Like our kids got up at like 10 today. Literally, like it was a little bit like. Are we sure we want to tell everybody? Yeah, I don't care. We were, Lacey and I were having a great morning in the I garden. I was up early. I was up at like 7.30, which yeah. is not normal for me at all. But, you know, they like, we after they got up and a little bit awake, we were like, okay, here's the list of things we need to get done today and they were like whoa that's a big list i was like well maybe you should have got up a little earlier than 10 (laughs) consequences (laughs) but you know it's that's the cool part about homeschooling is their bodies needed more rest we had a pretty busy night last night birthday party so they were recovering most of them are worn out and i mean that's and I know some people would have gone in and woke them up and I probably would have about noon, but <laughs> until then, you know, like let them rest, let them, their bodies recoup and mm-hmm. listen to their bodies. I mean, you do homeschool when homeschool works and be flexible on it. Yeah. And we are really of the disposition that homeschool happens when it's not nice enough to be just outside doing whatever we do outside. Yeah. So as it gets hotter this summer, we've done more like actual school time inside. But when it's nice outside, we're, you know, out playing in the garden or doing whatever we can around the farm. And um, then that is school too. The best scenario is when your kids don't know there's schooling. (laughs) Right. Right. Because that's, and that's true for us too. Like that we learn more in a natural place where we're eager to learn and trying to do things. And and that's what we want the kids to experience. So I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to several of our homeschooling podcasts. We interviewed the uh, five hour school week. She's great at talking about de-schooling, which will really help 
you unravel some of the cultural norms that are so kind of impressed upon us that we can let go of and it helps us build a more fulfilling homeschool base. Um, and then we also put together the homeschool open house last year, which is still available and it's $30 for year long access and, and such a wealth of great information from all ages and walks and journeys in homeschool. Lots of vari variations on what that looks like and different styles and that kind of thing. So if what you're hearing right now is like, ah, I don't know that that's going to fit how I want to do things, totally fine. There are a lot of other options and you can, that actually, I feel like is the most co cohesive way to get that information without feeling completely overwhelmed. Yeah. And so, that's just yeah. uh, homeschoolopenhouse.com. Which you can, yeah, yeah access anytime. Yeah. So thanks so much for listening in. I hope this was helpful and encouraging and uh, please leave us a review, share the podcast and spread the word and, and hopefully maybe help somebody else with this information. Thank you so much.